Well, welcome back to the story. If you are a first-time guest, we want to welcome you to our assembly. We have been going through the major narratives of the Bible from the book called The Story. And it's hard to believe that it wasn't that many weeks ago that we were in the book of Genesis looking at creation. And then we just wrapped up the Old Testament by looking at one of the last books of the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah where they rebuilt the wall. Then we had these like 400 silent years. And then we've seen the birth of Christ. We've seen His baptism. We've seen His temptation. The humanity showed up. We looked at His teaching last week. And today we're going to look at His miracles to back up His claims of being who He said He was. God with us. God in the flesh. Now, I think most people can handle this idea of a God. Many people, even non-believers, will say, well, design does seem to demand a designer. And it stands to reason if there's a creation, there must have been a creator. But where a lot of people have the hang-up is when it comes to, was Jesus the creator? Was Jesus really God? Well, Jesus says, yes, I was. Yes, I am. And really, when you think about it, it makes total sense. Because if God really wanted us to know what He was like, He could have wrote us a book, and He did. But what better way than to come down in the form of a human being just like one of us? In Christ All the fullness of the Godhead showed up in Jesus. Jesus had the essence of God within him. Now, some people say, well, Jesus, what are you like? What is God like? Jesus says, well, I tell you what, um, I'm a friend to sinners. You want to know what God is like? He's a friend to sinners. Anybody a sinner this morning? Any sinners in the audience? Isn't it good to know that Jesus is our friend? One time, there was this woman he met at a well. She had five husbands and a live-in. And a lot of people today would say, not going to associate with her. Jesus initiates the conversation. Why? He's a friend to sinners. Not only did she get saved, she was responsible for a whole town getting saved. Another woman was taken in the very act of adultery. And the religious leaders, quote-unquote, of the day wanted to stone her to death. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Got her off the hook. He is without sin. Cast the first stone. Who was the only one that day that had the right to cast the first stone? Jesus. And he says, no, girl. I'm a friend to sinners. There was a woman named Mary. Mary Magdalene, a prostitute, changed her entire life because of this friend of sinners. Tax collectors, David mentioned one this morning. A guy named Matthew became a disciple, one of the twelve, the group, because Jesus was a friend of sinners. Another little guy named Zacchaeus, another tax collector, scurried up a tree one day, wanted a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus was walking down the street, stops, looks up, says, Zacchaeus, come on down, we're going to have lunch today, because I'm a friend to sinners. And that guy got saved. Lives were changed because Jesus was a friend of sinners. What is God like? He's a friend to sinners. Well, what does God think about religion? Well, I don't know. Let's take a look at what he thought about the religious people of his day. 
We've already talked in our communion service this morning about the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the hypocrites. And Jesus didn't think a whole lot about these guys. Jesus was sort of down on religion of his day. But he was up on what? Relationships. What is God like? He's like Jesus. What's Jesus like? Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. Are you beginning to see what God is like? And the God of all creation, incarnate, wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us. Who is this Jesus? That's the question I I want to get to and I want to rip through in the time that is remaining. Here's what we know about Jesus so far. We know He existed. We know that he lived in Palestine. We know that he had followers. We know that he was crucified. And we know on the third day, uh, well, we know a Roman guard was placed to prevent what happened, but on the third day, the tomb was open and the tomb was empty. Now, those are the facts. I mean, that's, that's, that's in the history books. And you don't even have to read it out of this book to know that that's exactly what happened. How do you know there was a Jesus? Well, he's a man of history. The same way you know there was a George Washington. He was a man of history. Anybody ever met George? Anybody ever seen a photograph of George? May I see your hand if you've seen a photo? No, you haven't. The camera was not invented when George Washington. You have seen portraits. All right? See what I'm getting at? But you say, yeah, there's the portrait. You know, there he is posing. We've got a capital after his name. We've got states after his name. High schools are named after his name. And we read history books about George Washington. Well, we know there was a Jesus Christ as well because of the same type of a deal. And what does the book say about Jesus? The book says that he was 100% what you're feeling this morning. Human. Jesus, he wasn't part God, part man. He was the God man. But you need to understand he was 100% human. The Word became flesh, John 1.14 says. The Word became human and lived among us. Why? Because he wants us to know what God is like. Some people sometimes ask me, well, what did he look like? Well, I suppose he looked like any first century Palestinian Jew, the typical Jew. The Bible says there was nothing in him physically that you would look upon him and really even notice. He was just pretty ordinary. Number two, what did Jesus experience on earth? Jesus experienced everything human, everything that we experience. He got hungry. He got tired. He got thirsty. He felt pain. And he experienced what you will all experience one day. It's a little thing called death. Why is Jesus' humanity so important? Well, so he could relate to us, but more importantly, so we could relate to him. Remember a few weeks ago, and the bumper we showed this morning, he was tempted in the wilderness. And remember one of those temptations, you go without food for 40 days, and your hunger come back with a, with a vengeance. And you're tempted to turn stones into bread, how could you relate to a, to, a, to a God like that? Give me the ability to turn stones to bread and I'll never steal again. See, if Jesus did not stick with his humanity for his own needs, and if he reached into the divine bucket every time he got into a jam, we could never relate to a God like that. But Jesus resisted the temptations and he experienced everything human. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, This high priest of ours. He was tempted, how? 
in every way that we are. And that's why He understands us so much. Why does Jesus understand me? Because He was a human and He went through temptation. Isn't that wonderful to know about our God? The divine stuff came down to become like us so that He could experience everything that we do and then live a perfect life so He was now qualified to die for us. See, a rabbit or a deer or a goat, or a lamb, or cattle, or an armadillo, their blood does not transfer to me. It's got to be human to transfer. It's got to be the same kind. But the difference about his blood and my blood is this. Mine's been tainted by sin. His hasn't. He was tempted in every way we are, yet look at these last words. Yet he did not sin. There is a big difference between Jesus' humanity and my humanity. It's a little thing called perfection. He was perfect. I am not. Aren't you glad he's a friend to imperfect sinners like me and like you? And he loved the whole world because he knew we'd all mess up. So, number one, Jesus was 100% human. Who is Jesus? Jesus was 100% God all the time. Verse 1 of John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, the thought. It already existed. That's what became flesh in verse 14. He was with God and He was God and He created everything there is. You mean when God said, let there be light, Jesus was in that? Absolutely. He is a part of the creative force. 100% human. 100% God. 100% of the time. You've heard illustrations on this, you know, the idea of H2O. It, it's a liquid, it's a solid, and when you freeze it, and it's a gas when you heat it up. Uh, all of these illustrations that preachers try to give to help you understand the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they all fall short on some level. But I, I saw uh, a good one this past week, and I'm going to kind of show it to you. And even though it falls short somewhat as well, I'm going to show it to you anyway. I asked my wife to go out to the store last night. She was going to Michael's, and I said, well, I don't think she found it there. I think she found it someplace else. I said, could you pick me up some Plato? And she said, yes, and she got me some blue. All right. This is our God container, all right? And let's let this Plato represent the essence of God. Are you getting this so far? How many gods are there? There's one. There's God, the Father. God, the Son, oh, and a little bit of the Holy Spirit tried to get away there, and God, the Holy Spirit. Three in one with the same essence. Is that making sense to you? Now, even that falls short because they're all three and one at the same time. I don't fully understand that, but I'm glad that I've got a God that I don't fully understand. Amen? See, because if I could understand my God... That would mean he's a very little God because I've got a very little brain and I'm not all that smart and I'm glad I got a God I don't understand. But all the essence of God was in Jesus. All all of that. You know, I mean, how many of you can wrap your minds around the idea that God always was? (laughs) I mean, we believe it. But we just don't know how it works. How does that work? How can you always be? 
Where did God come from? You ever have a little kid tell you that or ask you that and you try to explain that? I just always was. Just always was. We got a huge God. A God that we can't comprehend in the space-time dimension that we live in. But you know, once we get out of the space-time dimension, we're going to go, oh, I get that three-in-one thing. It's real clear. It's real simple. But it's hard for us to get it here and now. And so some things we take by faith, and we just take because the Word of God is so reliable in so many other areas that I'm just going to go, right, God, I don't get that one. I just believe that one on faith. Let's move on. He was 100% human. He was 100% God, 100% of the time. And he was 100% perfect, all right? See, the, how would you like to have been one of Jesus' brothers or sisters growing up? You ever have one of those brothers and sisters where you're always getting in trouble, but they're not? All right, how would you like to have been James? You know, James is always getting in trouble, but Jesus never was because he's so perfect. And... And frankly, Jesus' siblings, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, some family issues going on here. They thought he was kind of wacky and a little crazy when he started claiming to be God. One of his biggest critics was James, but after the resurrection, one of his biggest fans was James, his brother, willing to die for Christ and actually did, saying, my big brother was God. Top that, you know. My daddy can beat up your daddy. You know, my brother can beat up your brother. But Jesus wasn't about beating up people. Jesus was all about saving people, healing people, forgiving people. A friend of sinners, but he was perfect all the time he did it. Now, Jesus did five things to prove that he was God. Quickly, hang in there with me. The first thing that proved that Jesus was God was the miracles that he performed. The, the miracles that Jesus performed were of such a nature that not even his enemies could deny them. Do you remember what the scribes and the Pharisees said about Jesus' miracles? He's doing this by the power of who? Beelzebub. And Jesus says, oh, come on, guys. Think about that for a moment. Can Satan cast out Satan? Remember, he was driving out demons. He was raising the dead. The blind could see. The lame could walk. You know, the, the dead were raised. And so his miracles proved who he claimed to be. Number two, eyewitnesses to his perfect life. Remember I said he was perfect because the book said he was perfect, but the people that wrote the book inspired by the Holy Spirit saw that perfection. They were up close and personal. But even the enemies of Jesus saw that. You know, eyewitness testimony is powerful, especially by those that have nothing to gain by it. Remember what Pilate said about Jesus? I can find no fault with this man. Remember what the thief on the cross said? This man has done nothing wrong. Do you remember what the uh, soldier at the foot of the cross said when Jesus with a loud voice said, Into thy hands I commit thy spirit. And then hung his head and died. Roman, this Roman soldier had seen a lot of crucifixions. And he had seen a lot of people begging to be killed. Kill me. Get me out of this pain. Get me out of this suffering trying to will themselves to die, and they couldn't. Jesus, at the appropriate time, when all the sins of the world were imputed into his body, and we'll look, a look at his uh, death a lot closer next week because it's a major narrative. You, you need to understand this. Jesus said, Father, it is finished. It's paid in full into thy hands. I commit thy spirit. Boom, he left his body. Boom. And the, and the Roman soldier said, surely that must have been the Son of God. I've never seen anybody do that before. 
Those are people from a distance. But what about the people that knew him best? Those up close and personal. The, 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 the 12. Those guys were with him 24-7 for about three years. And you know, have you noticed the closer you are to someone, the more of their defects begin to come out? You ever gone on vacation with someone you thought they were one way, but then at the end of the week we're going, boy, I'm glad this vacation's over and I can go home and... You know, yet the flaws kind of come out. I mean, you know, husbands, I mean, your wives, if you've been married for any length of time, they know your character flaws. Now, wives, don't go nudging your husbands because they know yours too. I mean, it goes both ways, right? But these guys were with Jesus now two plus years. He's, he's going to be dead within about six months of this next statement. Jesus says, all right, guys, we've come to the point in our ministry that you should be getting the idea of who I am. Not just a good teacher, not just a prophet from God, but I am God. I mean, I calm the storm, I, I, I walk on water. You better be getting this. And so I'm going to give you a little final exam. This is not a grade on a curve. This is a pass or fail. You ever taken one of those tests? Pass or fail? Matthew 16, 13, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? The Son of Man is. It's one of the favorite uh, terms that Jesus used for himself, the Son of Man, showing his humanity. But he says, well, some say you're Moses, some say you're Elijah, some say you're one of the other prophets. Yeah, but who do you say that I am? Pass or fail test. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Ding, 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 Peter, you got it right. That's exactly who he was. Jesus didn't say, hey, wait a second, you know, Peter, you're taking this Messiah thing just a little bit too far. No, 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 no. He said, you answered right. You know, you can fool people from a distance, but you can't fool people up close. A third thing that proved that he was who he claimed to be, and that's the fulfillment of prophecy. I mean, if I told you 70 things about your life that are going to happen next year, and they all were fulfilled, you'd have to go, wow, Bruce is a prophet, right? You'd have to agree with that. Well, something like 70-plus prophecies of Jesus, hundreds of years before he was ever born, were written about him in this book. They were all fulfilled in one man. The odds of that happening would take a computer to figure out. It's astronomical. He had to be who he claimed to be. Well, some people say, well, you know, couldn't Jesus have read the book and then try to make his lifestyle kind of fit you know, the book, and fake everybody out. Like, you know, it says that Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. And so Jesus says, all right, disciples, ditch the bus, get me a donkey, i got to go in that way. And then i got to fake everybody out. You know, when they see me coming in on this donkey, you know, they're going to take me, arrest me, torture me, beat me, hang me on a cross. It's going to be wonderful. They're going to think I'm the Messiah. Wrong. I mean, that's just not the way it works. Because a whole lot of things about Jesus' life were way out of his control. How many of you decided where you were going to be born? Right? It says Jesus would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And you know the religious leaders, they even got that wrong. They said, could anything good come out of Nazareth? See how they don't even understand the scriptures? Where was Jesus born? Nazareth or Bethlehem? Bethlehem. Where was he raised? Nazareth. Prophecies about both. Well, you know what? Uh, none of you can predict the way that you're going to die. 
You know, the Bible says Jesus would die in a very specific manner. That's why when they were in a boat, the disciples are saying, Jesus, don't you care? We're about to die in this boat. We're going to drown in this boat. And Jesus, oh, come on, get out of here, guys. I'm not going to die in a boat. I'm going to die on a cross. Where's the safest place? Well, to be with Jesus in the middle of a storm on a boat, right? If Jesus is in the boat, I'm not afraid. You're going to go through storms of life. And when the storms come, if Jesus is in your boat, you don't have to be afraid, right? Amen? Isn't that the blessing there? Well, Jesus was going to die on a cross. Well, the Bible predicted that. His place of birth, um, how he would die. Did you know that one of the prophecies says not a single bone in his body would be broken? You, you know, you try going through your entire life and not breaking even a pinky? Come on. He had to be a perfect sacrifice. And then guess what? Uh-oh, we're in real trouble because the, the Jews said, we, we need to speed this crucifixion thing up a little bit quicker. And Jesus is hanging there, and people are hanging there. And so they said, why don't you break the legs? And they go and they break, broke the leg of the thief on the left, broke the legs of the thief on the right, and that sped up the death. But when they came to Jesus, they found he was already dead and did not break his legs. Interesting fact, isn't it? It is a prophecy. That would happen, and his legs would not be broken. But just to make sure, they jammed a spear where? Into his side. All predicted prophecy. Prophecy is huge. He would be buried in a tomb that didn't even belong to him. All predicted, and on the third day he'd be raised. And then his own claims. He claimed to be the Messiah, John 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one. That claim got him into so much hot water. He, he claimed to be God. And uh, they said, you know what? That's blasphemy. That's reason for death. Jesus, you're a liar. And that was the conclusion the leaders came up with. And I say, well, you know what? Show me one sin that Jesus ever committed, no one could do it. And you're telling me all of a sudden he's going to break the ninth commandment? Don't tell lies? Don't think that's going to happen. He wasn't a liar. Well, others say, well, you know, he wasn't really lying. He was just a little cuckoo. You know, there are people today that think they are God. And they're just nuts. They're lunatics. Well, you know what? I dare you to read the Sermon on the Mount and conclude that Jesus was a lunatic. You read those Beatitudes. You, you read the parables. You read his teachings. Even unbelievers walked away and said, never a man so spake. Those are not the words of a lunatic. He was indeed who he claimed to be. Lord, not a liar, not a lunatic, but Lord. And then the biggie, the resurrection. This separates Christianity from every other religion on the face of the earth. You name the religion, you name the religious leader, and I will show you their tomb. Mine was Jesus Christ. His tomb was open and his tomb was empty. He resurrected from the dead, all backing up who he claimed to be. Now buckle up for point number three and we're going to wrap this up. 100% human, 100% God, 100% of the time. And now point number three, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Uh Uh-oh, that's a biggie. Bruce, you had me, you know, at the first two. But the only way to heaven? Come on, Bruce. Well, these are his words, not mine. Don't shoot the messenger. John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, not one of the ways. I am the truth, not one of many truths. I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through who? 
me. Remember, the Father, I and the Father are one. They have the same essence, the same DNA, the same Plato, if you will, the same God stuff. He's the only way. If there was another way, he would have told you, but there's no other way. And a lot of people read that and they go, you know, I get the humanity thing, the divinity thing, but the only way to heaven, that is so narrow-minded, that is so bigoted, that is so exclusive, that is so intolerant. It's only those things if what is being said is untrue, but if it's true, it's the most loving thing you can say. And, re- and let me remind you, this is the one said, for God so loved America, or Europe, or China, or is this the God that said, for God so loved the whole world. He's inclusive. He's all-inclusive. He doesn't leave anyone out. He died on that cross for every sin of every nation on this planet of ours. Our God is inclusive. But you know what? You've got to understand He is God, and when He tells the truth, it's the truth, and it's one of the most loving things you can do. How many ever went to the doctor and the doctor gave you some bad news, but you're glad they gave you the bad news because there was an antidote to fix it and give you some good news? You wouldn't want him to lie to you and say, everything's fine if you're dying of a deadly disease, incurable disease, right? That, that there's no cure for. But if he comes up with a cure and says, okay, here's the bad news. You're sick. You're going to die within six months if you don't take this. Now, here's the good news. Well, Dr. Jesus says every single one on this planet has been infected with a deadly disease. It's called sin. That's the bad news. The good news is Dr. Jesus can fix it. How did he do that? On a cross. His blood was spilt for you, and he died in your place. And all the sins in the world that you ever committed were transferred into Jesus and sort of a legal transaction took place there. Because, see, God the Father must punish sin. You and I sin, but Jesus is a friend to who? Sinners. And my sins were transferred into Him. It's called substitutionary atonement. This legal transaction took place, and God poured out all of His wrath on Jesus Christ on a little hill called Calvary and said, okay, Bruce gets off free because he's a believer in me. Bad news, Bruce is a sinner. Good news is, Jesus paid for my sin. And it's available to you too. He's not bigoted. He's not intolerant. He wants everyone to know this. It's for the whole world. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says there's salvation in no one else. There is no other name in all of heaven for people to call on to be saved. So I'm not going to call on Buddha. I'm not going to call on Mohammed. I'm going to call on Jesus. Because he is my Lord. He is my Savior. He's the only name that can get us from here to there. And it's available to you this morning. We'll wrap it up with this verse. John chapter 1 and verse 12. Yet to all, see how inclusive our God is. Not to some. Not to just Americans. Not to just the good people. No. Yet to all who receive him. He, came, he gave the right to become children of God. Get it? Good, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth to show us what God is like. Loving, caring, truth-telling, life-changing. 
Jesus, thank you for proving that you are God by your death, your burial, and resurrection. And Father, if there's anyone here today who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, may they believe and receive this very day by putting you on in baptism. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing to the Lord.